We all know the story of the Revolutionary War, when in 1776, British colonists bravely declared their independence from the crown to become the first Americans. Nearly 250 years ago, revolutionaries fought to make their goal of self-determination a complete reality. But today, we're not discussing the story of America's beginnings that we've heard time and time again. Rather, our story begins in 1790 with the founding of our nation's capital, Washington, D.C. The march of democracy persists throughout all of America, but the struggle for sovereignty for 700,000 Washingtonians continues. I'm Ian Cohen Murphy, a proud Washingtonian, and this is our special D.C. statehood episode of the Next Generation Politics Podcast. Today, the House of Representatives approved H.R. 51, a bill to make Washington, D.C. the 51st state of the United States of America. The bill, which was introduced by D.C. Shadow Representative Eleanor Holmes Norton, would shrink the Capitol into a small, non-residential federal jurisdiction covering the White House, the Capitol Building, the Supreme Court Building, and the National Mall, and make D.C., the rest of D.C., its own state named the Washington Douglas Commonwealth, or Washington, D.C., the bill passed the House with 232 votes along party lines, with Congressman Colin Peterson being the only Democrat to dissent. While the bill is unlikely to pass the Senate or even be taken up for a vote, this action is a huge step for advocates of D.C. statehood who have been trying to pass similar resolutions for the past 220 years. To understand the importance of Friday's House vote, let's take a look back into the history of D.C. statehood. D.C. was created as a federal jurisdiction along the Potomac River, using land ceded by both Maryland and Virginia. The district was founded, as its name implies, as a district, neither its own state nor part of any other state. The Founding Fathers did this to ensure that no state or jurisdiction of the Union would have more influence over the federal government than any other. James Madison, for example, expressed his fear that D.C. residents could interrupt congressional proceedings due to their close proximity to the Capitol. Many Republicans these days do not support D.C. statehood by using the argument that the Founding Fathers did not support D.C. statehood. Boshuff, the head of D.C. Vote, an organization at the forefront of the statehood movement, rejects this argument. The Founding Fathers wanted a lot of things, uh, and the Founding Fathers were wrong about a fair number of things, uh, specifically uh, slavery, the inability of women to vote, the inability of people who didn't own land to vote the inability of anybody who was uh, not white to participate in our government. So I think that the Constitution is an amazing document, but it's also flawed. And we fixed a lot of those flaws through amendments, but we've also fixed a lot of those flaws through laws and through simply uh, understanding that a government is, is responsive to the people that it governs. Uh, and as the needs of the people who are governed changes, so does the government that, that the people that it represent the people, or that the people, yeah, the government. Um, and that's what D.C. statehood is about. It's about understanding that the needs of the residents of the District of Columbia are far different than anything that the Founding Fathers would have ever laid out. Uh, the Founding Fathers were all about representation. We literally fought a war over the concept of taxation without representation. And importantly, we won. Uh, and that's what is the basis for our country. And so the idea that the founding fathers would have been okay with 705,000 people not having any representation simply ignores the, the truth and, and the history of, of representation in this country. Um, Washington, D.C. at the time was sparsely populated. It was even more sparsely populated with people who were eligible to even participate at that point. 
Um, the number of land-owning white men was tiny in the District of Columbia. And so um, they couldn't have imagined that it would become a, 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 a district this large and that it would leave this many people disenfranchised. Um, and they would, I don't think that they would stand for it in this day. The district has been a source of political turmoil since its establishment. Residents of Washington, D.C. have been fighting for equal representation for centuries. With almost immediate demands to home rule, the issues that D.C. and its residents face today are very much a result of its faulty beginnings. So instead of the same American history lesson that we've been taught for our entire lives, let's learn a little bit more about the history of home rule in our nation's capital. From 1800 to 1871, the political structure of D.C. flip-flopped largely between a presidentially appointed mayor-type figure to a popularly elected one. In 1871, the local government was reorganized to have an appointed governor along with a democratically elected board of commissioners. Of course, the democratically elected board of commissioners weren't truly democratically elected, as only white male landowners could vote. For 70 years, very little changed when it came to the district's ability to control their own governmental affairs. But finally, in 1964, D.C. was granted representation in the Electoral College, and in 1973, Washingtonians gained the right to elect their own mayor and members of a 13-seat city council, now known as the D.C. Council. This was a significant step in the district's journey to representation and self-determination. Unfortunately, minute progress has occurred since then. D.C.'s residents still have no voting representation in Congress. And in 1993, the House soundly rejected D.C. statehood by a vote of 277 to 153. And this brings us up to date to yesterday's historic House vote. The district is home to over 700,000 residents, which gives it a higher population than Wyoming and Vermont. The residents of D.C. pay the highest federal taxes per capita and have served the country the same way that every other American and every other state has for centuries, but they are still denied essential representation. It's especially alarming when you take into account the fact that D.C. residents are subject to congressional interference when it comes to municipal affairs and the passage of legislation by representatives from other states. In every single other state, state legislators pass bills and the governor can either sign it into law or veto it, and that's the end of their legal process. In D.C., the council passes laws and then the mayor can either sign it into law or veto it, but Congress has the final say for D.C., they can step in to overturn any of our laws. In 2016 alone, there were 25 congressional attempts to overturn DC's laws. They've attacked our gun control, marijuana legalization, reproductive rights, HIV AIDS prevention programs, and even marriage equality. Overturned a needle exchange, one of the most uh, effective ways to combat HIV and AIDS. They blocked that from going into effect for 10 years. That's just the LGBT community. If you're an environmental person, if that's one of your key things, Congress tried to overturn our wet wipes law. Yes, we had a law about wet wipes. Uh, we still do. But, uh, we, we made this crazy controversial law that if you want to sell a product as flushable wet wipes, they have to be flushable. They have to dissolve within a certain amount of time. I know it's super controversial. It's absolutely going to solve the climate crisis. Uh, just this one maneuver. Um, but they saw to it that they would try to overturn it. And they did it solely because of the fact that Kimberly Clark, a corporation that makes wet wipes, lobbied one of the members of the House of Representatives to try and overturn that law. So uh, environmental issues are impacted. Labor issues are impacted. Choice issues are impacted. And for sure, civil rights are, uh, issues are impacted. We are a majority-minority uh, district. Uh, uh, more brown and, and black people live here than white. 
uh, and we are overseen by a body that is more white than black and brown. Uh, that is the definition of systemic racism, and it's the definition of, of unequal justice as, a, as a, it applies to race. So why is there little to no recognition to an issue that directly contradicts our nation's democratic values? There have been many recommendations and propositions that would solve the issue of representation, but statehood is the most effective way to guarantee that Washingtonians will have complete control over their local and state government, as well as representation in Congress. Not to mention, statehood is widely popular amongst D.C. residents, as over 78% of voters in D.C. voted in favor of the statehood proposal. Representation without statehood simply is not good enough. Why? The Tenth Amendment of the United States Constitution. Um, all powers not specifically expressed to the federal government are reserved to the states. There's nowhere that it says all powers not specifically expressed to the federal government are reserved to all the states and some random district just south of Maryland. We are left behind no matter what. If you pass a law that gives us a voting representative and two voting senators, makes us equal to everybody else as far as representation, that law can go away two years later when a new Congress comes into effect. It also still allows the federal government to meddle in our affairs. It would still allow uh, the wet white bill controversy to happen. It would still uh, let the federal government, the federal government has the ability to take over our local police force for 48 hours, no questions asked. They just come in and do it. Um, it almost happened uh, two weeks ago. They have the ability to do it for 30 days mm -hmm. if on Congress they're gonna do it, but for 48 hours they can do it no matter what they want. So there's just so many different ways that the federal government can interfere with the functions of the district that don't just end when we get a senator. It has to be statehood because of that 10th Amendment reserving all of those rights and powers to the states. The lack of representation in DC seems like it should be much further in the spotlight than it is now, right? Unfortunately, the issue is not prioritized at a national level, but according to Bo, it should be. I come out of the LGBT marriage movement. That's a lot of what my roots were in. And I used to ask straight people all the time, why do you care about gay marriage? Um, because, and they're not gay. So it doesn't affect them directly, uh, but they saw our values. We have shared values as Americans of equality, of inclusion and of representation. And that's what DC statehood is really about. Uh, it is a matter of, of equality, inclusion, representation. Uh, and so um, it's the same type of thing. I, I hope that people will be involved with the statehood movement because of empathy, uh, because they can see that other people uh, are, are not in the same status that they are in. I, I think that uh, people will support DC statehood because of, like I said, shared values, uh, because, and because of the fundamental concept that if there's a weakness in our democracy for one person, it's a weakness in our democracy for all people. Uh, and this is absolutely a weakness in our democracy. Uh, this hole in representation that we have here in the district. The objection to taxation without representation is what our nation's fight for independence was rooted in, but D.C. has been left behind for centuries. D.C. is the most politically significant part of our country, along with its great cultural and economic contributions. In spite of it, the district's residents have no voice in Congress. It is in direct opposition to the principles that our country was founded on, while core American values are nonpartisan, Democrats lean in favor of statehood because D.C.'s urban nature makes it an overwhelmingly liberal place, and those few extra progressive voices in Congress could be critical in protecting Democratic causes during close vo votes. Even though the issue of representation and voting rights shouldn't exceed the need for partisan debate, this simply isn't the reality. 
Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell likely won't even take a vote on the bill. He's called it full-bore socialism, whatever that means. Because as we know, when democracy spreads, Democrats win. For Republicans, even democracy is a political issue. When asked about his stance on D.C. statehood, President Trump said, quote, D.C. will never be a state. You mean the District of Columbia, a state? Why? So we can have two more Democratic, Democratic senators and five more Democratic congressmen? No, thank you. That'll never happen. President Trump's comments come as a stark reminder that somehow democracy has ended up being the Democrats' job. D.C. statehood has gained traction in the past few weeks as a result of the George Floyd protests. Some governors deemed it fit to deploy their, na their state's National Guard to contain the violence and the protests downtown. However, the power to organize D.C.'s group doesn't lie in the hands of the governors like every other state. When it comes to D.C., the power to mobilize the National Guard is given to the president, completely removing all power from D.C.'s local government to control their own law enforcement. Over the course of his civil unrest, the president's absurd abuses of power have been numerous. The most notable being his use of federal law enforcement to clear peaceful protesters out of Lafayette Park for an absurd photo op. D.C. statehood would give the governor of D.C. the power to deploy its own National Guard and would ensure protection from presidential threats and abuses of power. These protections are yet another fundamental aspect of statehood which Washingtonians have been blatantly denied. I have been a resident of Washington, D.C. for my entire life. I was born here, and I absolutely love it in D.C. Growing up, I would always like talk to friends from other states, and they would ask me, what state are you from? And I would say, oh, I'm actually from Washington, D.C. And they said, no, 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 that's a city. What state are you from? It, it is truly vile that we are taxed without, without, with taxation without representation. We, we serve our country in every single aspect that every other state does. And yet, just, just because we are liberal, just because we lean blue, we don't get statehood and we don't get representation. We do not have a voting voice in Congress. D.C. is like any other state. We have a culture. We have, more, we have more residents than several states. We have a higher GDP than many states. And yet, we are completely lacking the fundamental American values that every other state has. It is shocking, disturbing, and needs to end. And well, and well, H.R. 51 will never be taken up for a vote in the Senate, at least not in this term, because of because cocaine Mitch. Um, looking forward, this is a huge step. This is a huge step for D.C. statehood. And I want to thank people like Bo, the head of D.C. vote, and um, Representative Eleanor Holmes Norton for the tireless work that they are doing to make D.C. the 51st state. It also hinders all real liberal progressive progress. D.C. could pass the most progressive laws, and we do pass incredibly progressive laws, but the problem is Congress can, Congress can just smack them down. We can never make true progress, because if we really do make progress, then, then Republicans in, in Congress will just will end that progress. And this, th this is, I've said it before, and I'll say it again, this needs to end now. If you're hearing my message, and you agree with me, there are many ways that you can get involved. We actually need more help from people outside the district than we need from people inside the district. And that's because we don't have a senator, or two, and we definitely don't have a representative that has a vote. 
And so we need folks that are everywhere else to help us out. Uh, we need you all to call your congresspeople, your senators, and get them involved with this issue and get them to support this bill, uh, this, uh, the bill about statehood or to, to support the concept. The best way people can do it is to go to showup4dc.com. That's the number four. So it's S-H-O-W-U-P-4-D-C.com. And there's all kinds of stuff people can do, whether they're more comfortable making phone calls or sending tweets, or it sounds like we need to create a TikTok video um, for people to mimic um, that we haven't quite gotten that far yet. I'm a little bit older than some folks. Um, so we're, we're not quite at that point, but there's stuff to do on social media. There's stuff to do in traditional contact and show up for DC is a great resource. If you don't feel much of a connection to DC statehood, it's key to make the issue personal to you. You have to make any issue personal to the people that you're talking to. Um, and DC does our best to reach out um, and we do our best to educate, but we're facing an uphill battle. A lot of people, A, you don't interact with DC residents on a, on a consistent basis. Again, I'm going to draw another comparison to the LGBT movement just because of, of my history in there. Um, we spent a lot of time as a movement making sure people came out, right? So that they would talk about being LGBTQ so that people would know someone who was LGBTQ. That makes it personal and it makes it resonate with you. Um, so maybe we need to have a, a bit of a coming out uh, campaign for D former DC residents, people that used to live here, went to school here, had a connection here, uh, whatever. And we do a little bit of that where we, we try to talk to alumni networks and things like that. Um, but if you don't know, or you're not experiencing it on a day-to-day -day basis, or you're not connected to an individual who's introduced you to a concept, um, you don't necessarily know what you don't know. Thank you so much for listening to our special DC statehood episode of the Next Generation Politics Podcast. I want to thank my producer, Ari Cohn, my director, Sydney Gift, my writers, Daniel Wilk and Audrey Taylor, my production assistant, Caleb Murphy, my audio and video editor, Sarah Villa, and the huge group of supporters that it took to make this podcast possible. If you have any questions or want to support us, email us at Next Generation Politics Podcast. Thanks again to Bo Schuff, the executive director of DC Vote, for appearing on the podcast, as well as all the work he's done to make DC our nation's 51st state. Thank you to the 232 congressional Democrats who voted yes on DC statehood. And thank you to members of the DC Council and Mayor Muriel Bowser for all of their work. We are 129 days from Election Day. I'm Aiden Cohn-Murphy, and this was the Next Generation Politics Podcast.